Luke chapter 8 this evening. I'm very excited to preach to you when the preacher has to sit down for a little while. It's very discouraging to him, so I'm very excited to preach this evening. And I'll be very honest up front, this message, as I studied it, as I read it, was extremely challenging to me. I found myself quite guilty of many of the things that I'm going to speak about tonight. And uh, I hope that you will receive it in the same manner, that it is not a condemnation towards you when the Word of God tells you you're not good enough in an area. In fact, that's the exact opposite of a condemnation. It's an encouragement to be better in the area that you have shortcomings. So Luke chapter 8, verse number 4 this evening. We will begin reading in verse number 4. The Bible says, And when much people were gathered together... And were come to him out of every city. Now what you have to understand is this is still quite early in the ministry of our Lord. And up until this point, there has not been a lot of teaching going on. Many of the things that he has been doing has been more related to the miracle working power of Jesus. And has not been giving many messages. So what you have is a crowd that is attracted, not because of the message, but in this case, because of the miracles. The Bible says, as he begins to speak to them by a parable, he says, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away, because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit and hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now you have the opportunity as a 21st century Christian to have access to more study materials than any uh, 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 person or any people in all of Christendom. At a moment's notice, we can Google the secret menu at McDonald's and Whataburger and In-N-Out, and at a moment's notice, you can have all sorts of study materials at your fingertips. But what I've found about biblical study materials is when they're written by men, oftentimes they're not always right. And you can read the same passage over and over again in different curriculum or or different commentaries and, and different articles. And the same passage, which clearly states the same thing, can be disagreed on in various ways. And it's very discouraging when you see this guy says this and this guy says this, and and they just don't agree. But let me state right now that tonight the Lord Jesus is about to give us a commentary on his parable. And if there's ever been one thing that has been uh, uh, misspoken on, it's probably been uh, uh, parables that the Lord himself did not interpret. But Jesus himself tells us exactly what this parable means. He says uh, in verse number 11, now the parable is this. The seed is the, now say the next three words with me, word of God. Let there be no confusion about what the seed represents. It does not represent love. It does not represent some type of outreach or evangelistic crusade. What does the seed represent? The Word of God. That's exactly right. So as we study this passage, remember that. The Bible says, verse number 12, Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. 
But that on the good ground are they which, in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Now, out of those options, I believe it's very obvious to even the most elementary biblical understanding that the soil that your heart should look like and resemble the most is the good soil. Boy, I don't want a, a stony heart. I don't want a thorny heart. And I, un, I am already unqualified to have a, a wayside heart. But you want, as a Christian, to have a good heart that the seed of the Word of God can go into, take root, and make changes in that soil. That's what we all want to have. But I want you to notice, as we continue reading in verse number 16, No man, when he had lighted a candle, covereth it with a vessel, or putteth it under a bed, but setteth it on a candlestick, that they which enter in may see the light. For nothing in secret, uh, or nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. Now, I want you to read the next phrase in the Bible with me. It spoke volumes to me. In light of everything that our Lord has just told us that the parable of the sower means, it means that the Word of God is the seed, the types of soil are the different types of ways in which people can receive the Word of God, And obviously we want good soil in our hearts so that the Word of God might spring up and and bring forth fruit a, a hundredfold like the Bible says here. But read with me in verse number 18 the, the warning, if you will, Jesus gives. Ready? Go. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. That's okay. That, that's what I want. The first phrase. Let's read that again out loud, if you will. Ready? Go. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. Now, if you notice throughout the passage, the Bible tells us, tells us the different types of soil that your heart can be, but it does not tell us how to achieve one type of soil or the other. So, I'm so excited. Let's just pray and get into it. Sound good? Sound good? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Please be with us this evening. I ask, Father, that you would help me with my voice, with my strength, with, with the clarity in which I preach the sermon. And Lord, I pray that you would be with every person in the room, that they might discipline their mind to hear what the Word of God is saying. And ultimately, Lord, I pray that they would be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit of God may be doing in their life. I ask you this, in the name of your dear Son, Jesus, Amen. Listen very carefully to what I am about to say. Have you ever thought how silly that phrase is? Can you listen more carefully at one point than you can another? If somebody says, listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Now, moms say that a lot of the time. They don't necessarily use that terminology. They just say something like this. Andrew Nathan Wolfenbarger. But that means, listen carefully to what I'm about to say. But in a very real sense, verse 18, Jesus tells us that we are to listen carefully to how we hear the Word of God. And when you think about what we're in this room trying to do tonight, it would make sense that we would listen carefully. Think about this. Tonight, specifically, we are reading the very words of our Savior. Oh, and I think all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is all profitable for several different things. But when you're reading the words of your Savior, it's just something special. When your Bible turns a different color ink, it it draws your attention. But tonight, Jesus says, listen carefully how you hear the Word of God. Well, it makes sense that we would listen carefully when you start to think about whose words they are. Not only does it make sense because of whose words they are, it makes sense because our God has promised to be in this room with us. The Bible makes no bones about it. Where two or three are gathered, there He will be in our presence also. When we open up this Bible, when we ask Him to come, He's there, man. So I think it's at moments like this when we ought to do our best to listen carefully. Not only is it uh, because of 
uh, whose words they are, and that our God has promised to meet with us, but it really is because of the power of what we're doing tonight. You know what the Bible says about preaching? It says it's kind of foolish sometimes, and certainly if you listen to me much, I get a little foolish when I preach. But it says it is the power of God unto salvation. To those that are saved. Man, if you are, are desperate and hungry for the power of God in your life, look no further than the next sermon you get to hear because that's where you'll experience the power of God in your life. So it makes sense that we ought to come to church willing to listen carefully to what the Bible and what the preacher might have to say. But here's a question. Do we listen carefully? Because as I mentioned earlier, I find myself quite guilty of not disciplining myself and my spirit and forgetting the overwhelming sense of all that I ought to have as I sit beneath the man of God and as he studied and prepared and prayed and, and, and he sought power from God, I find myself oftentimes guilty of not taking heed to how I'm listening. Tonight, I, I want to study Jesus' words and I want to learn how I can take heed when I come to church, how I can listen carefully when the word of God is being spoken. Now, obviously, this is the parable of the sower. And there is so much depth and so much teaching in this passage. There is no way that I could do it justice, much less do it justice in the short time that we have. But I, wanna, I think it's necessary that we teach the different types of soil. Verse number 12 tells us about the first type of soil that Jesus uh, taught on, and that is the seed that is cast by the wayside. The seed that is cast by the wayside. The Bible says... Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil. Now I want you to notice very carefully the crook in our story tonight. The devil obviously is the prince and power of this air. But aren't you glad when you got saved, you kind of joined sides with someone who's much greater than the one who owns this airspace. And I'm so thankful that the devil does not dictate to me who I am or how I am to behave because the Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in this old world. And don't, don't, don't underestimate the power of the, the devil in this world, but don't underestimate the power of God which works in your heart on a daily basis. But the devil has several tasks or uh, jobs that he does while he's here. He's a deceiver. Now, don't get the idea that the devil can come into your room and, 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 and tempt you on a personal level. Sure, I guess if he wanted to. But I would say, I would suggest that in Scripture, he reserves those times for very meaningful Christians like Jesus Christ. Don't, don't think that the devil is omnipresent. He can't be in your room and in my room. Uh, he's a powerful being, but he's nothing like our God. But what the devil has done is he set up the system of the world and everything that is in this world is wicked. Amen. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And the devil has set up this system, the rudiments of the world, the Bible terms it. And that is what often entices our flesh. He's a deceiver. But I would suggest to you in terms of the church, the devil is more on alert when it comes to when the preacher preaches the gospel. In this passage, he is not listed as a deceiver. He is listed as a thief. You see, the Bible describes him as someone who, when the word of God has been preached to someone who does not know God, he comes around and steals the word of God directly out of their heart. And the Bible says, so that they might not be saved. I think if... The devil is going to attack our church. It's probably going to be on the basis the next time that we have a group of unsaved individuals and, and, and there's, there's a throngs of unsaved people and a preacher stands forth to preach nothing but the power of the gospel and the change that Jesus Christ can make in people's lives. And I believe that's when the devil will attack. Like 
this Saturday. You don't think there's going to be a distraction or two in that rodeo arena? He's a crook. He's a thief. And I've seen him use all sorts of things to distract people from the gospel. Boy, isn't it ironic that right at the time of invitation, that little baby starts screaming. And it'll happen almost every time on the biggest days of outreach your church will have. Or the PA system won't work. Or a slide won't come up. And I'm just here to tell you, if he's the prince and power of the air, he can get into a Macintosh computer. More so a PC, but even a Macintosh. Look, I, I hate the devil. And in terms of a preacher standing forward to preach the glorious gospel that Jesus saves and Jesus lives and that sinners can come to Him and know where they're going to live forever with Him, boy, that's a glorious message. And as soon as the preacher gets done preaching it, oh, there's the devil rising up his ugly head to distract and steal the Word of God from their hearts. I've seen it too many times. He's a crook. He's going to be here this weekend, I have no doubt. And, and the crime is that he just does anything in his power to get their mind off of what they're doing in eternal decisions. Amen. Now, on this topic, let me say, Christian, don't be used of the devil right at the moment of invitation. Amen. There is this thing going around in Baptist churches like, when the preacher says, let's bow our head and close our eyes, it's like a time for everybody to get up and go, go home. Like they want to get to lunch before everybody else. You know what you are. You're being used of the devil. And you say, there's no way he's using me. I'm just saying, if there's a sinner beside you and they realize that they need a Savior, and there you are saying, oh, excuse me, excuse me, i got to get to Wendy's before everybody else does. You're a distraction. Wouldn't it be amazing if we had a church of people that believed in the power of God so much that at the moment the preacher said, every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, only those doing business with God, uh, uh, and he begins to speak to them. Wouldn't it be amazing if there would be a church full of people in this church that bowed a knee and said, Lord Jesus, I know there's someone that's not saved. I saw the tear in his eye as preacher began to speak about the cross and speak about eternity. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd save him. But instead, we find ourselves exiting early so we can get home. What a shame. These, this... The devil is a crook, and the wayside is seed that is cast, and seed that is sowed, but yet the soil is so easily taken away, uh, separated from the seed. Don't be used of the devil, the seed by the wayside. Secondly, the seed that's sowed upon the rock. Verse number 13, the Bible says, They on the rock are they which, when they hear... Receive the word with joy. And these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation, fall away. Well, I can honestly tell you, many times I have been in a, a wonderful preached service. I felt the Spirit of God move in my own life. I received the word with much joy and excitement. I went forward to an altar unashamed, courageously bowing a knee before my God, humbly bowing a knee before my God, only to have a time of temptation steal that joy and zeal away. You say, well, Brother Andrew, are you tempted? Oh, sure, I've made commitments, Lord, I need a better prayer life, only to find myself a few days later back to my old habits. And maybe I'm the only one guilty of this, but I find myself being a little rocky at times. The Bible here is telling of a, a, a joy. They were excited to receive the word of God, but the action was they would always fall away. This year at youth camp, I made very clear to our teenagers, please don't make decisions. You say, what kind of youth director goes to youth camp begging teenagers not to make decisions? The kind of youth director that's so tired of rocky soil and falling away in the time of temptation. Don't be a, 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 a rock-hearted Christian. Don't be someone who receives the Word of God with joy, 
but then yet falls away. Let me ask you, did you enjoy Brother Arthur when he was here? Did you enjoy the power of his preaching? Did you make any life-changing decisions? How are they going? Oh, don't be a rocky-hearted Christian. There's the seed by the wayside, the seed of the rock. Thirdly, look at the seed among thorns. Verse number 14, the Bible says, And that which fell among the thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth. I mean, these were people that implemented the sermon into action. They made a a, a decision in their heart to go forth. But the Bible says, And are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no forth. Bring forth no fruit to perfection. As far as I can tell, as I study the Bible, there is nothing inherently wrong about cares, riches, or the things, uh, pleasures of this world. Boy, I, I enjoyed going to Canada with my father. That was, that was a pleasure that this world has to offer. I don't know if there's going to be any caribou in heaven, to be honest with you. The Bible never says, no, we killed them all. Yeah, we wiped them clean, I tell you what. There's, there's things that we can do in this world. Man, it's fun to go watch some of these little kids play baseball, and then, and then their dads get mad at them for running to third before they run to first. And, and, and you think, well, Dad... Didn't you do the same thing when you were a kid? Because chances are they probably did. And then they went to the pitcher's mound. Like Their shape didn't even make sense. But at least the kid ran in a diamond. He just ran backwards, right? I love some of those things. And I, I honestly can't find it wrong for a Christian to have money. The Bible says that the Lord giveth riches and addeth no sorrow to it. Now, if you're rich because of your hand and your accomplishments, every person I've ever seen like that is miserable. But when the Lord blesses someone, and man, I tell you what, if if God's plan for the local church is to be supported by tithes and offerings, then I believe God has to bless some, amen? But I've seen the Lord bless some. So I cannot say that there is anything wrong with the things that are listed among thorny hearts. But I can say this. When those things overtake the power of the Word of God in your life, that's where they become an issue. Boy, I've seen time and time again people overtaken by conviction at an altar from a sermon preached and the Spirit of God moved in their life. I've seen it time and time again. They're so excited they would charge hell with a water pistol and then they go home to focus on nothing but a football game. Boy, there's nothing wrong with a football game. In fact, I was rather much enjoying the one I was watching right before I came to church. But when that overtakes the power of the working of God's Word in your heart, there's an issue. And when we leave this service, man, many times we go out to eat with fellow Christians and fellow brethren. We go out to eat. I wonder how many times around those tables someone says something like, boy, had you ever seen that in that passage tonight the preacher was talking about? Have you ever understood what he showed us? But most of the time, our conversation would probably resemble this. Yeah, we're thinking about getting a new car. What is that? That's a pleasure of this world. That's something that is not of any eternal value, but that's what we focus on. And how often a a man of God stands up to proclaim the truth of God, and yet we go home to focus on what we've got going on tomorrow. And I've even seen it in church. Somebody writing out their grocery list or they're, they're focusing on what's going on or where they're going to go eat. Uh, it's funny when you go through the pews and you see like offering envelopes that you're hoping somebody put something in and left. But then you open up the offering envelope only to find out it was a wife asking the husband where they're going to go eat after church. You say that would never happen. Yeah, not in this church, I'm sure. But it's concerning, is it not? And what it is, is it's either rock-hearted Christians or it's thorny-hearted Christians. And you say, Brother Andrew, I I just have to be very honest. I have not felt the Word of God working in my heart actively like you're speaking about in a very, very long time. Well, let me tell you this. There's one of three problems. According to Scripture, the problem is either you have a stony heart, 
a rock heart that the Word of God can take no root in. Secondly, you even either have a thorny heart that you, uh, uh, the, the cares of this world, choke out the power of the Word of God in your life. Or thirdly, and I will say this, maybe the problem is with the preacher. Maybe it is me. Maybe it is the pastor, but I, I would say, chances are, if he's preaching Bible, it's not. But if you are not growing here, find somewhere where you can. Now, I believe that this is a Bible preaching and teaching church, so I would not suggest that you go anywhere because if you can't grow here, I wonder where you're going to go that has more fertilizer and more watering than here. But if there is somewhere across the street, man, I'll take you hand in hand and we'll both go join that place. But you have to be growing If the preaching of the gospel is the power of a Christian and you're not feeling any power, there's something wrong. So we must must fix it. And then fourthly, and this is the goal, right? This is the idea that every Christian ought to be striving for. Verse 15, but that on the good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart Having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Now in all of this, Jesus has taught us the types of soil or the types of hearts. But you know what he has not done? Taught us the way to achieve the heart. How do we not have a stony heart? Right. That's my question. If I'm convicted about something in the Bible, well, how do I fix it? How do I change? How do I develop into a Christian that doesn't struggle with this anymore? And the answer is not as obvious as what you would hope, but I believe it is there. Look in verse number 4, and we'll actually get into the sermon now. We haven't started preaching yet. Verse number 4. The Bible says, And when much people were gathered together, and were come to him out of every city, he, what's the next word? Spake. Now, I'm speaking to you right now. I'm speaking, and this is the idea of the lesson style and the teaching style of Jesus right here. He spake unto them, and I would suggest to you it sounded something like this. A sower went forth to sow. And maybe he had his voice somewhat lifted so that the crowd and the multitudes might be able to hear. But notice verse number 8. Something changes in the message. Another fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had, what's the next word? Said these things, he, what's the next word? Cried. You notice the difference? There's a big difference between saying something and crying something, is there not? I believe it sounded something like this. A sower went forth to sow. And he, and he taught in that style, but there was something that struck a chord with Jesus. Something that incited passion in his heart. What was it? Well, and he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Look down to verse number 18. This is not the only time Jesus refers to this. Verse number 18, the Bible says, Take heed, therefore, how, you, how ye hear. I have read over this passage dozens, if not hundreds of times. I have preached sermons on this passage many, many times. But I'll tell you, I've never seen the emphasis on how you hear until recently. And I wonder as if in the manner in which you listen is not what determines the type of soil in which you have. Let me say that again. I wonder in the way in which you listen to the Word of God, whether preached, taught, or read, I wonder if the way in which you listen does not make up or constitute the type of soil that your heart is. He says, take heed. Be careful. When you hear preaching, be careful in the way you hear it. He never tells us how to have a good heart. He never tells us how to have good soil. But in both 
points of the sermon, he bookends it with this. Be very careful how you hear it. I want to teach you tonight three ways in which we can prepare to hear preaching. Three ways in which we can prepare ourselves to hear the Word of God. Number one, I want you to see this. We should attentively hear. We should attentively hear. Verse number eight. He says, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. The Bible tells us that the idea, the goal of a Christian's life is to make up good soil. The Bible repeats this in verse number 15. But that on the good ground are they. So you want good soil in your heart, don't you? You want the Word of God to be able to root and spring up and spring forth a hundredfold fruit. That's what we want. Well, how do we do it? We attentively hear. You know what makes up good soil? The amount of preparation that goes into it. Let me say that again. What makes up good soil is the amount of preparation that goes into it. The other day I was having a conversation with a man in the church. He's a farmer by trade. That's what he does for a living. And, and, I, and we were concerned that our ranch wasn't growing a, a, a seed like it ought to. And he goes, well, is anything growing in it right now? And I said, yeah, there's just a whole bunch of weeds. And he said, well, that's good. That means it can grow something. <laughs> and what he was saying is, the soil is soil. And I tell you this, if the thorns were removed from the thorny soil, it would have been good prepared soil. If the rocks had been removed from the soil, it would have been good soil. But the thing that makes up good soil is the manner in which we prepare it. Rehoboam was uh, Solomon's son. and Rehoboam was a king. He took over the kingdom from his father at the age of 41. He reigned for many, many years. Jeroboam was the king of the southern kingdom, and Rehoboam was the king of Judah. So you had Israel, and you had Judah. Judah was the one in which God's lineage, or the line of David, was over. Rehoboam was uh, uh, Solomon's son, and so God was blessing that line. Rehoboam, early in his reign, honored God with his life. And early on... He was preparing to go to war with Israel. You had Judah versus Israel. It was as real of a term as you could label civil war. This kingdom going against this kingdom, brother against brother. And the reason Rehoboam was doing this was so that he could return the other kingdom to himself. The Bible says he was preparing all of his men And this is how good of a man Rehoboam was early on in his reign. The Bible says God sent someone to him and told him not to do it. And guess what he didn't do? He didn't go to war. He was a man who listened to God's word. Well, years passed and he was king for some time. The Bible does not tell us just a ton about his reign, but it does tell us that he reinforced the city. He accepted the priests and the Levites, which Jeroboam had run out of uh, of Israel. He embraced them and he welcomed them in. But at the end of his life, one verse sums up the reign of Rehoboam, and it is this. 2 Chronicles, verse number 14 of chapter 12. And it says, listen, and he did evil. But man, if I read his life, he did a lot of good things. Maybe not the whole time, but he seemed to do a lot of good things. But the Bible says, and he did evil, notice, Because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. The indictment of this man's reign was not that he was not a good man. It was that he never prepared himself to be the king that God wanted him to be. He never prepared himself and nurtured the relationship that the king of Judah ought to have had with the God of Israel. He never prepared himself. And because of that, the Bible labels his reign as an evil one. You say, preparing my heart cannot be that important. Well, Peyton Manning said this, and if you want my opinion about Peyton Manning, you can think whatever you want. As far as I can ever remember, I've never seen anyone better. Now, you may say, I've heard Terry Bradshaw's name thrown out there. You may say Tom Brady. 
Well, I saw a third-string quarterback run the offense as good as he can the other day. So you, you can have your opinion, but it, for my money, Peyton Manning is the best quarterback I've ever seen. And you say, well, he wasn't very good the year he won the Super Bowl. Well, he was good enough to win a Super Bowl. But when he was back with the Indianapolis Colts, I've never seen anyone control the ball game like him. Aaron Rodgers was close until something happened to him today. I don't know what it was, but uh, he, he's pretty good. But Peyton Manning is, for my money, the best quarterback to ever live. And this was his words. There were other players who were more talented. But there was no one who could out-prepare me. And because of this, I have no regrets. And I got to thinking about the hours of game tape that he may have watched. I got to thinking about all of the, the, the concepts and the route trees and all of the conversations he had to have with his receivers. I got to thinking about the thousands and thousands of routes that he probably threw week, every single week. No wonder he couldn't throw a football when he was 40 years old. He had thrown thousands of them throughout his career. I got to thinking about the amount of preparation he put into winning one football game that did not matter anything in the course of eternity. And then I compared it to the lack of preparation that I put in when I come to church. Boy, we, we start to think about the eternal differences that are made behind that desk. You start to think that when someone stands there and opens that Bible, that God literally can speak through them as if the man was not even there. You start to think of that. And then you think about how you come to church on a Sunday morning. You think about how you prepare your heart. Man, on Saturday night, I hope prayers are prayed with you and your children that say, God, may you make a change in my life, a lasting change, a permanent change, a powerful change. Lord, change me through the preaching tomorrow. Oftentimes, that is not the case in my life, I have to say. I, I have to say that in the mornings, my wife and I, we try our very best to prepare ourselves. We, we turn on Pandora and we have Christian music playing and, and we listen to it. Man, I love it. But how often we get sidetracked by all the stuff that goes on on a Sunday morning and our heart is never really ready to come to the house of God to listen to the man of God preach the word of God. And we wonder why we don't get anything. Or better yet, we wonder why we get something and it never sticks. Why it's not permanent. Well, everything that God does is good and is lasting. So why, is our, why are the decisions we make not lasting? Well, I would suggest to you because, number one, we do not prepare ourselves to listen. The Bible here is saying if you want good soil, you have to attentively hear the Word of God. Don't let your mind wander off on what you got going after church. Don't let some silly text message distract you. Don't let some update on your phone get your attention that the cowgirls are about to kick off. I say fooey with the cowgirls. we got DVRs and chances are they're going to beat them anyway. So why would we even care when the man of God's standing up to preach the Word of God? Oh, but the devil... He often steals our attention. Just about every week I pray for our, our youth department. Lord, may you arrest the attention of the teenagers today. Don't let them think about the bus. Don't let them think about the girl sitting next to them. Don't let them think about that. Arrest their attention. And I hope that's your prayer as well. We have to, number one, attentively hear in order to achieve good ground. Secondly, we have to honestly hear. Verse number 15 not only says that we are to have good ground, but it says, Are they which in an honest and good heart? You know what makes up a good soil? A soil that does not think it's better than it is. Amen. A soil that is honest with itself and says, I haven't got this whole thing figured out. 
And there may come a day when I need God's word to speak directly to me. So I'm just going to pay attention. And if he says something that strikes a chord in my life, I'm not going to dismiss it with the excuses that I may come up with. But I'm going to understand that the spirit of God may be speaking to me. And I'm going to be honest about it and realize I am very far from what God wants me to be. Honest Christians. Like the psalmist said, search me, O God. Man, this is a guy writing scripture. This is the sweet psalmist of Israel. And you know what he says? Search me and see if there be any wicked way. Christian, if you want God's word to really take root in your life, be honest with yourself. You know what we're good at with? Or you know what we're good at? We're good at shoveling what the preacher's saying onto those we know who are struggling at that given moment. We go to a prayer meeting and somebody says, pray for me, preacher, I'm going through a difficult time. So the preacher stands up and says, oh, there's a God who understands what you're going through and there's a God who cares about you and there's a God who loves you and he hears your prayers and you sit in your seat and you shovel it on the person you know is struggling. But the preacher wasn't talking to them. The preacher's talking to you. We, we hear things uh, preached and we hear preacher get up and say, uh, what, what are you posting on your Facebook? And our mind goes to someone who we saw post something on Facebook and we say, you had no business being there. So we say, oh, preacher's speaking to you. When all the while, preacher was not speaking to them. You think I checked Facebook? I quit Facebook because I got tired of seeing all y'all's junk. The preacher's speaking to you. He prayed for you. So what a, a terrible thing when we shovel it off on everybody else when you need preaching more than anybody. Oh, man. The, the, the Bible says here, a good-hearted Christian will have an honest heart. I said this to Brother Josh this week, and I believe it with all my heart. The closer you get to God, the further you realize the gap is. And the very best Christians I know are not the ones that stay in their seat at the time of invitation. And, and I, I don't mean that saying that that's some level of your Christianity or some marker of your Christianity. No, I'm saying that the very best Christians I know know God so well that they look up and see His holiness and they look in the mirror of God's Word and it points out nothing but flaws and they fall at His feet and say, God, help me live for you tomorrow. Oh, we have to be honest, Christian. And I have to be honest with you, oftentimes I am guilty of this same thing. I find myself saying, oh, my wife can use that. I find myself knowing what our teenagers are going through and I say, oh, God, please help oh so-and-so to get that. What an indictment it is upon my Christianity that I am so uh, uh, childish that I, that I cannot realize that everything the man of God says is for me. And sometimes you got to eat vegetables, Christian. Sometimes you got to take your medicine. The doctor gave me some medicine this week. I promise you it's not palatable. My throat hurt worse this week than it's ever hurt in my life. For days and days I carried a spit cup around just so I could spit my tobacco in it. Uh, just kidding. Just kidding. I would spit instead of swallow because it hurt so bad. And the doctor looks at me and says, would you like something for it? And I said, yeah, give me some relief, doc. I go to bed and I, I open it up and I tell Amy, I go, I don't know how to take this, but I'm just going to take it. In a, <laughs> she heard me dry heaving in the restroom because it was so bad. Sometimes, Christian, you've got to take some bad medicine and you come to a preaching service. I love good preaching on the cross, but sometimes I need preaching that speaks directly to what I'm not doing right. Well, when the preacher opens up and says, I'm going to preach on prayer today, I look down and I say, oh man, this is going to be a long one. Preacher says, I'm going to preach on soul winning today. I say, oh man, this is going to be a long one. Preacher says, oh brother Andrew, I'm going to preach on this. And I say, oh, this is going to be a long one. But those are the sermons that help you grow. Those are the sermons that make you know that you're not where you need to be. And God says, child, I want you here and you're not there. So if we're going to have good soil, we have to attentively hear. 
we also have to honestly hear. Finally, we have to completely hear. Verse 15 says, But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. They keep it. You know, if the Bible says something, and I claim to be a Christian, I ought to believe it. And more than just believe it, I ought to do it. But yet many times I find myself dismissing tidbits of Christianity. Like, oh, well, you know, I can uh, get away with not maybe doing that, like completely surrendering. But Jesus says, if you haven't left all, you're not fit for the kingdom of, the, uh, kingdom of heaven. If you, any man that puts his hand to the plow and looking back is not fit to be my child, my disciple. That's what the Bible says about us. And you say, Brother Andrew, there's no way you're dismissing bits of uh, Scripture. There's no way I would do that. Well, I find myself uh, easing out of some things sometimes. Maybe saying, well, I'll, I, in terms of soul winning, well, today I'll, I'll go make hospital visits, or today I'll go make uh, uh, visits for the youth department, all the while not obeying the command to go spread the gospel. You know it's hard to spread the gospel with people that know, already know about the gospel? Yeah. And I find myself guilty of this very thing. Dismissing tidbits of Christianity in the form of, I'm doing it for ministry. I'm probably the only one guilty of this, but I find myself guilty of it often. But if I'm going to be a Christian with good heart, where the Word of God takes root and lasts, I can't be choosy on what I take from God's Word. If God says it, I do it. There's a story in the Bible, it's, one of my favorite stories, honestly. It's a story about three men. One of the men's name is Adino, and the Bible says he took one spear and slew 800 men. In the same story, there's a man by the name of Eleazar, the son of Dodo. And you've got to be tough if your dad's name's Dodo. <laughs> but the Bible tells us that he smote the Philistines... After all, everyone else of Israel, it's very similar to Uriah in the sense that Uriah was on the heat of the battle, on the front lines, everyone surrenders. But the Bible tells us that Eleazar took a sword and he slew them all so much so that his hand claved to the sword and he was not able to remove it when he was done. And the Bible says that people showed up just to share in the spoil. What a, what a bunch of... You know what I'm saying. I can't even say it. And I can't even think about what I'm going to say because it would probably be in the flesh. But what a bunch of hosers. I'm going to go with Canada. I've spent a lot of time in Canada. That, that, that this man would fight. And the Bible says they come around like vultures willing to take credit for it. Now Thursday and, or Thursday and Friday night, there's going to be a lot of people that come up to this church that are fighting the battle. And then Sunday, there's going to be a lot of people saying, oh, I'm so God." So glad God blessed our church this weekend, and yet they never had a hand in it. A lot of people willing to share in the spoil, but very few are willing to stand in the fight. Eleazar was a man's man, so was Shammah, the son of Agi. The Bible says that he fought a troop of Philistines. Now, I don't know how many in a troop. I'm sure a commentary could tell you, and I'm sure another commentary could tell you a different number. But there's a troop of Philistines, and you know how tough this guy was? Listen. He fought them over a patch of lentils. Now, I've heard good preachers preach, and they say, that's peas. What a man. Now, if he's a real man, he don't like peas. <laughs> but what a man that would stand and fight for the principle of the matter, because it certainly wasn't for what he was fighting for. He just stood up and says, nope, this is God's ground, so you can't have it. And if you want to get it, you're going to have to go through me. The Bible says he slays them all. Man, what men are these guys? The Bible tells us that one day these three men go to visit King David in a cave. In the cave of Adullam, there they are, and he speaks to them. And the Bible says that the Philistines have Bethlehem kind of uh, uh, surrounded and, and, and they uh, uh, take ownership of it there temporarily. And so David's 
fighting out of his land, if you will. And in passing, the king says, Oh man, how I long to have a drink from the well that is beside the gate in Bethlehem. The Bible never says they even looked at each other. The next verse says, And they went. Three of them, hand in hand, fought back the Philistines, retrieved just one cup of water and brought it back to their king and handed it to him. David, so moved by the gesture, he looks at him and says, how can I drink this? You guys sacrificed your very life for this. He pours it on the ground because how meaningful the gesture was. Why would those guys do that? Just a cup of water. You know what I told David? There's plenty of springs around here, David, and they ain't got swords guarding them. You know what they said? If the king says it, I do it. Disregarding of their own well-being, they realize that the king's command is their commitment. Christian tonight, God may be asking you to do something. He may be speaking to your heart and he may be telling you that you come to church oftentimes too flippantly. Just like it's another service. You know what preacher tells us, the staff? He tells us that the, ne- the most important Sunday of the year is the next one. What he's saying is something mag- uh, majestic, something powerful can happen in the next Sunday. Even if there's no banners hung, even if there's no flags draped, even if there's no video presentations or any special song, God is so powerful that He can do something in even a Wednesday night crowd. Amen. The next service is the most important. So God may be speaking to you tonight. But like every single service, you have the choice. Whether the king's command will be your commitment or whether you just brush it off. Whether you say, well, (laughs) I just kind of keep doing what I'm doing. Let me ask you, how's that working out for you? Are you a stronger Christian now than at any other point in your life? Because I find myself guilty of not taking heed to how I hear the Word of God. I sit down to read my Bible as if it's just another daily devotion. I come to church as if it's just another sermon. And friend, I just got to tell you, one Christian to another Christian, I surely have not arrived in the way that I take heed to the Word of God. Tonight, God can help you get good soil.